You're listening to the Living Leadership Podcast, growing disciple-making leaders. My name is Marcus Honeysett. In this episode, we are exploring how we are sustained in Christian leadership. How do we get the spiritual resources we need? Leadership's a long-haul task. So how do we make sure we are well-provisioned for that long haul? How are we going to keep drawing from the wells of salvation? When we start out in Christian leadership, people emphasise for us that there will be times when it is sacrificial and difficult. And we agree, we nod affirmingly, because we know that that's correct and that we've signed up for a costly journey. But for many of us, at that point, the cost was theoretical. Are we going to be sufficiently rooted to stay the course when it actually gets tough? Will we continue to love the Lord, love leading and love the church when the demands are high? That's the question for this episode. In future podcasts, we intend to cover a lot of aspects of how we are sustained practically. How can we get the necessary ongoing equipping and training for leadership and spiritual life, for example? How can we access healthy oversight of our work and family life patterns? How can we get people who invest in us as we invest in others? We'll cover a whole range of these kinds of practical issues. But the question for today isn't practical so much as spiritual. Not that the spiritual isn't practical, but the underlying foundation is, do we have a spirituality that is adequate to our leadership journey? Archbishop George Carey said this, churches die when leaders die. Churches die from the top downward. Show me a growing church and you will show me a visionary leadership. It's leaders who make growth. When you have spiritual leaders, men of prayer, women of prayer, imaginative, alert, intelligent, there we have growth. So the main question for this episode is this. What does it mean to have a spiritual walk that is adequate to our discipleship and our discipleship in leadership? How do we sustain ourselves and keep our hearts rejoicing? I wonder how where you are at the moment of receiving from God's grace. God blesses us in order to bless the world through us. Like Abraham in Genesis 12, we are blessed to be a blessing. Psalm 67 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us in order that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation to all generations. It starts with us being blessed, with us living as trophies of his grace. It stands to reason, then, that if we are meant to be a blessing to others, if leaders are workers with others for their joy in God and their progress in the faith, we can't do a good job unless we are recipients ourselves. Knowing the joy of the Lord in our hearts is the starting point and sustaining power for leadership. Here are four foundationally critical things about the joy of God that will sustain us. Firstly, it arises out of living in God's grace. Joy is a corollary of grace. Those who receive God's grace reign in life through Jesus Christ, says Romans 5. Dwell frequently, dwell often on the unmerited grace of God in Jesus. Second, The joy of the Lord is the delight that we have in being satisfied with his lordship. He is the most satisfying person. He's the one over whom we do the great rejoicing. You rejoice over the things that bring you joy, and he's the main one. Third, 
The joy of the Lord is a settled character trait that the Holy Spirit produces in us as we believe and hope in God. I think it's interesting how when we uh, reflect on the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it's very easy to reflect an awful lot on the love that he produces in our heart and then miss the second one, which is the joy that he produces. But there it is, the joy of the Lord is a character trait that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives as we believe and hope in the Lord. And the fourth thing is that the joy of the Lord is the fresh appetite we get for God when we accept that our own righteousness is what the Bible calls filthy rags. We stop trying to gain worth for ourselves. This last one is especially crucial for leadership. In leadership, there are frequently few viable measures of success, and that means that the temptation all the time is to look for ways to justify ourselves. I came across a great quote from Missions Conference. This is from somebody called Jonathan Dodson. I don't know him personally, but I think this is a true and helpful comment. He says, the blessing of mission is ours, while the burden of mission is God's. It's very easy to get that the other way around. I shoulder the burden and suffer so that God gets the joy. Well, if anyone could have made that case, it would have been the Apostle Paul when he was locked up in prison. I imagine him justifying the situation to himself like this. I'm locked up. It's wretched. But at least the gospel is going out and Jesus is being proclaimed. So I suppose I'd better just put up with it and make the best of a bad lot. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say anything like that. In Philippians 1, he says, I remember you Philippians in my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. I am full of joy in this prison cell because brothers and sisters are being encouraged to speak about Jesus. I rejoice, even though I'm the victim of a smear campaign, because Jesus is being proclaimed and made known. Now, why would joy in God sustain in dreadful circumstances like that? He says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, I have joy in your partnership in the gospel, because whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. There's the grace and joy connection again. Later on, he says, God is going to meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. While in chapter one, he sees himself as one of God's means of meeting their needs and says, I want to continue with you so that your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. God is going to give you grace in your hard Philippian circumstances. And what that's going to look like will be that your joy in Jesus Christ overflows abundantly. You can think of other passages that say similar things. First Peter 1, for example, says that the believers are full of inexpressible and glorious joy in the middle of trial. In fact, it is the inexpressible and glorious joy in God, which is the reason they stand firm in trial. Standing firm starts with the joy of the Lord. The question I want to tease apart now is, knowing that we're recipients of grace, in what things should we take joy so that we find this sustaining power overflowing in us, especially in our trials? Where do we fix our hearts and minds? so that we stand under the flow of God's grace, unimpeded. 
want to direct your thoughts to the benefits of Jesus with which God blesses us, because Paul says that we should take joy in them. If we want the joy of the Lord, it stands to reason we should commit ourselves to the things that the Bible says produces it. If we don't, we can't really complain if we're not experiencing it. But before we go there, I want to make a few comments on enjoying the Bible. My own experience of leadership is just how easy it is to stop coming to the scriptures in order to rejoice in God for myself and make my heart happy in God. Instead, I get tempted to only think about how to make other people whom I'm leading happy in God. Or worse still, just to teach and train them without them having a heart that's happy in God at all. It's quite possible to be accurate about the Bible, but passionless. We are very unlikely to encounter God that way, because we've turned his word into a mere textbook. And yet I find it all too easy to fall into just knowing a lot of facts about the Bible, as many as I can. I think that's a trap that uh, affects a disproportionate number of people from my Christian background, and I have to wrestle with that regularly. I think others might fall into different traps, such as coming to the Bible merely for therapeutic comfort. In each case, the temptation is to come to God's word, not to delight in the Lord, but to prepare ministry that seems to get results that the people around us value, whatever those might be. For years, that led me into Bible study that had the goal of educating myself rather than being a worshipper. I wanted to teach others more than I wanted to behold God or become more like Jesus. And so my daily devotions resembled comprehension exercises or Bible homework. I had little adoration, little worship, but I was a leader. Here's my point. I had swapped delighting in the word for comprehending the word. If we want to delight in the Lord, which is where our strength comes from, we have to delight in his word. Listen to how the psalmist describes it. I open my mouth and pant, longing, thirsting. What's he longing for? He's longing for your commands. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let me live that I may praise you. I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. All verses there from Psalm 119. That's not the words of somebody coming to educate themselves in the word. He's coming to worship over it. He hides it in his heart so that he will adore God and rest on his promises. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. So let's come to the benefits of Christ in which Paul says in Philippians, we should actively take joy, rejoice over. We're going to think about just three of them. There are more, you can go through and find them for yourselves, but we'll look at three now. Let's have the idea still in our minds as we do so, that if we're going to have sustaining delight in the Lord, then we have to delight in the scriptures. 
So the first thing I want to point out is that we take joy in Jesus's righteousness being given to us and not in righteousness that we make for ourselves through our deeds, good works or our successes. So the Apostle Paul says this. I had plenty of confidence in the flesh. This is chapter three of Philippians, verse four. Lots of confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Wow, what a list, what a, a set of commendations for him to make for himself. And then he says this, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Now, why do you think that taking joy in Christ's righteousness might help sustain us as leaders? It's because leadership tends to magnify our weakness and impotence. Oh, we can disguise it and become control freaks desperate for power, but leadership magnifies our weakness and impotence. It invites us to create our own righteousness through performing in front of people. And performative righteousness always steals joy. And it's unworkable. Leadership reminds us that our strength is small and that his strength needs to be magnified when our strength is small. Leadership effectiveness and leadership sustainability is dependent on the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is a consequence of delighting in the righteousness of Christ. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Rejoice, take joy in the prize that's waiting for us ahead. So having said that he considers everything a loss for the sake of Christ and his righteousness, Paul then says this, Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards, in Christ Jesus. And then he says in chapter 3 verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now why do you think that straining for the prize might help sustain us as leaders? I see three things here that constitute the prize. There's resurrection from the dead in verse 11. There's citizenship in heaven in verse 20. And there's the gift of a resurrection body from Christ in verse 21. Paul is very urgent for these things. I press on. I forget what's behind. I strain towards what is ahead. I want to win that. Why so unremitting? 
because that's what Jesus has died to win for us. It is the very purpose of God, the reason he has elected and called us to heaven. And then you can see in chapter 4, verse 1, that this is how we should stand firm in the Lord. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that's how you should stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends, we want to be sustained, standing firm for the duration. This is how. Remember 1 Peter 5. I have written to you about the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. We glory in Jesus. We glory in the prize. My dictionary defines glory like this. Exulting with triumph. Rejoicing proudly. To invest something or someone with glory. To extol and magnify them with praise. Our joy is very closely linked to what we magnify with praise. Biblical transformational leadership is the outflow of glorying in God, the overflow of prizing and glorying in Christ. And the third thing I want to point out to you that Philippians says to rejoice in is changed hearts and attitudes. Two women in the church in Philippi, Euodia and Syntyche, were famously going for each other like cats. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 2, I plead with you to agree in the Lord. Rejoice and let your gentleness be evident to all. The appeal is resolve your differences on the basis of joy in God. Why might agreeing in the Lord, rejoicing and letting gentleness emerge help sustain us as leaders? These women used to be active in evangelism. Paul says they laboured at his side, but now they aren't. And there is no godly joy in evidence between them. Where joy sustains mission and leadership, bitterness kills it. I think it's mainly this disagreement that prompts the wonderful verse in chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. If we are comforted by the love of Christ, then our attitude must reflect Christ and it completes joy. When our love is growing and our attitudes are becoming like Christ, we are glorying in in him, in our hearts and in our behaviour. Moving from ungodly conflict to Christ-adoring unity and love glorifies God and it completes joy because it shows that the gospel works. People submitting to the gospel rather than to carnal ambition and envy. So I take it as vital that we continually approach God for more grace, not more justification, but continual everyday reliance on it, continual repenting of forming our own righteousness, continual casting ourselves on his mercy, continual looking to ensure that I'm not establishing my performance on the basis of my righteousness, continual asking God for more of himself and worshipping, by which I mean adoring him in every area of life. The single most important thing to say about receiving and living in grace is to prize the righteousness of Christ, to cherish the fact that we don't perform for our acceptance. When Paul wanted to prize the righteousness of Jesus, he took everything that he previously counted profit and said, Jesus is better than that. In fact, he took the whole world and everything in it and says, Christ is surpassingly better than that to me. And he took his own righteousness and the works of righteousness that he previously boasted in so much and he laid it all down. 
He repented of making his own and he put his faith entirely in Christ's instead. And the result was joy. Joy-filled leading comes from joy-filled living, and that's produced by faith. How are we sustained to stand firm? By rejoicing in the Lord. What is it that we rejoice in? Well, it is the Lord, Christ and all his benefits. I could just as easily have said, prize his promises. And so I want to say to you, keep on rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Keep on taking joy in being declared righteous royal children. Set your heart on what the Holy Spirit desires and surrender yourself to him every day. We walk into the joy of the Lord and we will be sustained in our discipleship and in our leadership journey. If what we've explored in this episode resonates with you, then I'd like to finish by encouraging you to check out the Living Leadership Pastoral Refreshment Conference. This is an annual oasis of pastoral encouragement and spiritual refreshment for church leaders and spouses that's designed to help us be sustained in God's love and grace. If you like the sound of a three-day mini-break for energising your walk with the Lord, then take a look at www.livingleadership.org forward slash pastoral refreshment. And if you aren't a church leader yourself, then why not think about sending your church leader and their spouse to show them how much you appreciate them. They will love the input and your church will see the benefit of spiritually well-nourished leaders. Well, thank you for joining me for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you haven't already, hit subscribe now to receive new episodes every couple of weeks to enhance your leadership. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. For more about Living Leadership, to connect with us, to give, or to sign up for regular prayer news, please visit livingleadership.org. Blessings.